0: Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Rank these in order of importance. Okay, so there are five options here. Attending Bible study, packing your children's lunch, there you go, how appropriate, moving your child to your workplace, visiting refugees, sorting recycling from landfill and rubbish, getting eight hours sleep. All right, as a crowd, we're all distracted, aren't we now? Aren't kids wonderful? You know what they say in live TV? Never work with children or animals. All right, so as a crowd, what do we think number one is in that? What is the most important thing in that list? Sleep. <laughs> we have a sleep. What do you think is number two? More sleep. <laughs> what else, else? Number two. You guys aren't very holy. I thought you would have said, i Bible studying is number one. Oh, I did, okay. There you go. Anyone else? What do you think? Alright. So that the point of this little activity, this is something I was given will given to us at Bible College, is to realize that all of these are important in one way, shape, or another. Perhaps some of these take up different times, different energies. And you can actually argue scripturally that each and every one of these are important. Let's take the top one, getting eight hours of sleep a night. What was Jesus doing the night of the big storm on the boat? Sleeping. What happened to the prophet Elijah after his big victory over the prophets of Baal? And he's discouraged. What does God do? Sleep. There's this need for sleep, so that's important. Sorting, recycling from land for rubbish. He just... Lots of verses in the Bible, particularly around the Torah. So Genesis 1, we're called to rule and subdue the earth, i.e. take care of it. Is the the concept of jubilee. Every seventh year, leaving a land fallow. There's verses in Deuteronomy to talk about taking care of fruit trees. So there's this element that actually, yeah, that's part of looking after the earth as humans, sorting out recycling from rubbish. It's there. Visiting refugees. This verse comes up often, look after the foreigner and the widow. So you could argue that. Packing your children's lunch. Well, this I had to draw a long bow on this one, but 1 Timothy 5 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But think about it, if you didn't feed your kids, that's pretty negligent, isn't it? So we do that. And obviously attending Bible study, not forsaking the meeting together. Okay, the point of that little activity is to show that life is about worship. Now I'm going to introduce a big word this morning. It's called dualism. Dualism. So dualism is this belief that life can be divided into two categories. First category is spiritual. The second category is secular. Now, Where's Murray? We often joke about how useless church history is, don't we? Never ever use it. Well, I'm going to use it this morning. So in the first century, there was a guy called Marcion. You've probably have never ever heard of Marcion, but his influence has kind of shaped us. And he was condemned as a heretic in the second century. Now, Marcion believed that there were two gods. The Old Testament God was a God of wrath and anger and unworthy of worship. But the New Testament, Jesus, he is worthy of worship. So Marcion and his followers, they disregarded the Old Testament completely, just cut it off and said, it's utterly useless. And he also didn't like Matthew because that was a bit too Jewish. didn't overly like Mark and he didn't overly like John. He only really liked Luke. And in this sense, Marcion actually was part of the reason why the church formed the canon that we have today. But Marcion was part of this culture around that time, which of dualism, or another word for it's Gnosticism, this idea that spiritual is to be elevated over the physical. And as Christians, some ways we can fall into this trap as well. What's a more holy profession? A pastor or a builder? What would you say? In each and every way, they're holy in of themselves. And that is how scripture is meant to be. And I've titled this morning's message, Life as Worship. I remember when Rachel and I were engaged and I'd started Bible colleges, we were getting ready to move on to on-campus accommodation, we needed furniture. You know, we needed things to cook and to live. Remember walking through Ikea, I had this sort of moment of like, what category do I put shopping in Ikea? Like, and it made me take go down this path because I grew up in this world of this sort of spiritual is better than, you know, the second. Spiritual is better than physical. So I had this huge wrestle. It's a wrestle that I just absolutely love. like, where is God in the midst of the everyday mundane things of life? The answer is that He is there, everywhere. Yeah, prayer, Bible reading, is important. But also, how we do life—that is reflective of God. And that was one of the danger that Marcion and his followers, because one of the dangers that the early church had is as they became less and less Jewish, as they became more and more Greek and got influenced by Greek thinking, by Platonic thinking, by dualism, holy people were ones who gave up everything. There's a Greek word for asceticism. You just gave up food. In fact, if you were eating meals, the monks would add ash to it so it tasted bitter. Because if you're enjoying life, that's that's so sinful. You can't do that. This is what Scripture tells us. It tells us that all of life is to be lived as worship of God. The apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Jeremy, if you want to flick on to the next slide, I have a whole bunch of verses here. The verses from some of them, one of them, from the Old Testament. A lot of them from the New Testament. Here, talking about the goodness of God's creation, and we'll start with the most obvious one: Genesis chapter one, verse thirty-one. God saw all He had made, and it was very good. Tob Medo. Hebrew, not just good, very good. Now we know that verse, right? It's pretty famously quoted, set off often. Now, what do you notice about that verse? Who is the one making that declaration? Who's saying it? God. Okay, there we go. Okay, that's kind of obvious. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, when a character makes a declaration, that's very, very important. You'll notice this if you read particularly Hebrew narrative. We don't really know the inner thoughts of characters. It's not like reading a novel. When you read a novel, the character usually gives you their internal monologue. And you know what they're thinking. In the Bible, that doesn't happen too often. The narrator or the author just tells us what happens, event after event. It's very rare to get an inside snapshot into the mind of the character. But here, Moses, the author of Genesis, gives us the mind of God. And God saw all he had made, and he makes this declaration it was very. This is the divine perception of this world. Everything from day one through the day six, it's very good. Therefore, life, as God has created, it's to be celebrated. Everything around us is to be used as a way to honor God, to worship him, and to glorify him. And so when the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letter to the church at Corinth, which was predominantly Gentile, and they're asking questions about what to do with meat, worship to idols, he says here in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Food and drink and everything, this is, this is God. Do it for God's glory. It's just a simple meal. One of the hardest verses in all of Scripture. We'll pick this up a little bit later. And whatever you do, not just, you know, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance, Bible study, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father is That is a tough, tough verse. Everything in life is meant to be worshipped. One Timothy four, verse four: For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Lastly, so this was when John, when the Apostle John wrote his letter, he was really fighting against this idea of that physical's bad, spiritual's good. And he writes here in one John four. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's like Muz and I were chatting a little bit about this stuff, and Murray mentioned that he has a Muslim friend, and he said, "So do you worship a God that moves?" What was the first thought? You worship a God who is here. So for us to sort of say, oh, yeah, Jesus is fully God, fully man, and this crazy, miraculous paradox, we just sort of glaze over. But for people who believe that the physical was evil, it's just terrible. They go, no, 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 How, how could God become man? Human flesh is just evil. It's sinful. It's like that. We have to go to the toilet. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We have to do all these normal things. No way. There is no way that God. Becoming flesh. John's saying, Yeah, he did. He did. He was fully human, like all of us. The point of all of these verses, to encourage you as we have looked at spiritual gifts and heart, is that the bulk of you sitting here in church are not pastors. You're not called into some sort of ministry role. So you can feel like, Well, how do I serve God? How do you serve God as a mum with lots of screaming kids? How do you serve God when you do the daily grind to work and back? How do you worship God just when you're retired and you're just pottering around at home? What I want to encourage you today is to see that your life is an act of worship. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it to God in the name of Jesus Christ. To remember that Jesus Christ himself was clothed in flesh. Therefore, the normal everyday things of life, they're things to be celebrated. They're things that are worthy of praise. In the Old Testament, in particular figure, the next slide, thanks, Jeremy, there's just this real just connection between life as worship there's this no separation and in leviticus chapter 19 and i've got just a few random verses there it just jumps along all these different random sort of commandments that the people are to do and it starts off with this where like life is set this is the foundation is that you are obedient because be holy because i yahweh your god am holy Bigger commandments like this one in verse 4 don't turn to idols, etc., and so forth. And this, Leviticus 19, is important for us, particularly as Christians, because we know the most important commandment is love the Lord your God. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And so you read that, you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And then the very next verse, it's just, Totally random, in our point of view. Totally, utterly random. It says, keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Okay, well, what do we do with that? Like, why does that come after this commandment of, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself? There's a commentator, Ellen Davis, and she says that fast as Westerns, it seems random, but in the Hebraic mind, this is to show you that these commandments are here to show you this is how life is meant to be lived. And there's a great um, example of this. Uh, another Old Testament commentator is a guy called Jay Schuyler, and he, in his lectures, he actually gets his students to follow Torah. And this is the legal part, so you know, you're not sacrificing animals in your backyard. But as many commandments as possible, you are to live like an Israelite for a week. And one of his students said, I opened my cupboard and my wardrobe was only limited to one piece of clothing, basically. Because even you know, I'm mixing two types of cotton together, you know, wearing, you know. Anyway, he says as his students really struggle with this throughout the week, something begins to change. When you put on one garment that's the same type of material, as you think about what you eat, what you drink, what you do, something shifts in your mindset. And all the students say, I become acutely aware of holiness. And one student says here, after the experiment, and he says here, I realized that I was thinking about these things as holiness all day long and in every aspect of my life. And that's when it hit me. God cares a lot about our purity and holiness, not just from a ritual perspective, but from a moral perspective. All day long and in every aspect of life, the Lord wants me to pursue purity in my heart, in my life. In my actions. He wants me to reflect his holiness in all that I do. I've been treating holiness way to life. One of the things is when you start to shift that mindset, it's like uh, we don't necessarily have to go back to living the world. But we can embody, if we flip back to the previous slide, thanks, Jeremy, embody that mindset that Paul gave us from Colossians, from Colossians 3.17. That whatever we do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. It would change absolutely everything. Uh, In the Celtic church, they used to write prayers for everything. One of my favourites is the prayer for washing up. The most mundane of mundane tasks can become an act. Of worship. Brother Lawrence, he was he wanted to become a monk and just couldn't cut it. Couldn't do the ascetic monk's lifestyle. Couldn't get up at 2 a.m. to fast and pray. But he wanted to serve God, so he joined the monastery literally as a dish pick. Did the lowest of lowest of jobs. And in that world where it seemed that the only Spiritual people were those that forsake all the physical pleasures of this world. He was this humble man serving in the kitchen. And Baba Lawrence said, It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. And for Brother Lawrence, he had this expression he called common business. And it didn't matter how mundane or how routine it was, for him, this was a chance for worship. Where it was washing the dishes, where it was picking up straw, for him, his life embodied what Paul told us to do in Romans 12.1, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what's really cool when you start to study Old Testament. You start to learn about how the Jews thought and their prayer life. It wasn't they just carved out an hour or two hours in the morning And that was it. Their life was worship. As you're in the fields, as you're plowing, as you're sowing seeds, offer up a quick prayer to God because you recognize everything you did was an act of worship. And friends, we can change that too. And Paul has given us a template for that. Whether we're eating or drinking, recognizing that everything God has created is good. So therefore it means that it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, if you're a body, your life is an act of worship. Life is worship. I mentioned the Celtic church before. If you do want to study church history, I highly recommend that era. The Celts were known to be the ones to save civilization. They embodied, they understood God's scriptures, understood that God was the God of creation. They said, if you want to understand the Creator, understand his creation. And St. Patrick, probably the most famous of all the Celts, and unfortunately St. Patrick's Day is just transformed into this drinking celebration, but St. Patrick the man was a man who had this wonderful heart for God. He wrote what was called the breastplate, Recognizing that everything God did, everything that He did, God was there. The prayer goes Christ beside me, Christ before me. Christ behind me, Christ within me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ to the right of me, Christ to the left of me. Christ in my lying, my sin, Christ in heart of all who, Christ on tongue of all who, Christ in the eye of all who see Christ in the name of all and <laughs> Lord, as Saint Patrick prayed those words so long ago, we just want Christ to be around us. As the Apostle Paul challenged us about whatever we do, word or deed, good for you. Whether we're eating or drinking, recognizing that you have created, everything. and that Lord, you call us into different seasons in life. And whether we're in ministry or whether we're retired, whether we're raising children, that our lives are to be God for To be thankful for you for doing the simple things, washing dishes, hanging out the homes. Or to be sharing the gospel with those who are refugees, or even just be sorting out their recycle. Father, I pray that our books can just be reflections of what you've told us to be. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.